0: You know, I hate to be this sort of gloomy record on repeat, always talking about death and destruction, but it really is the only thing happening right now. It is so desperate in there and the human rights violations are so severe. Honestly, I think the Alabama prison system is one of the worst environments in the world right now.
1: Alrighty, welcome in boys and girls to Alabama Politics this week. I am Josh Moon, and the other person who makes this thing work is...
2: David Person. That's
1: correct, that's correct. We're the only two who have anything to do with this. Uh, We make it all work, we do our own editing, we produce our own stuff. That's how it works around (laughs) here. Nobody else has any input at all.
2: Oh, you so. just, you're really just trying to get somebody fired up and... <laughs> 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 uh,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, so, no, uh, we, we all know that uh, we're not, and if you've been a guest on the show, you, you really know that we're, we're right. not the ones who do any of the That's production right. of this. So, um, all right. So, we're, uh, we will begin, as we usually do on Alabama Politics this week, in Kansas. Um, cause that's, you know, how it work. Uh, no, there was a vote in Kansas, uh, that I think, uh, resonated throughout the rest of the country, uh, on, uh, was it Tuesday, Tuesday evening? And, um, Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, they had a ballot initiative. Uh, there about abortion. Uh, in which they were going to be able to go in and change their state constitution. Uh, if voters approved them doing so, they were going to go in and uh pass more restrictive abortion laws. Uh, and remove some some rights from from women. Um, and Kansas is a pretty red state. Uh, I believe they do have a Democratic governor, but uh, I also know the last time they sent a a a Democrat to the U.S. Senate was in the 1930s. Uh, mm. Or before the 1930s, I think actually. Mm. Uh, so, so you know, they're they're pretty strong red uh, there, and they've they've given us some of our our dumber Republicans as well along the <laughs> way. Um, and so they've 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 done their work over Excluding, there. That let's side. Let's,
2: ex, let's exclude from the dumb Republican list Bob Dole. I think he he probably. Uh, oh
1: yeah, is that right? I didn't I didn't know Bob Dole was from Kansas. Well huh. yeah, is that yeah, right? wasn't he? I, I listen. You, you maybe be one hundred percent right. I genuinely don't know. No, okay. <laughs> I mean that's. Let, I'm let not me double check myself. I think. Yeah, so. I'm not. I'm not in any way questioning you. I genuinely don't know. Okay. Um And so, uh, yes, he was uh, says somebody that doesn't really work here. <laughs> uh, and so uh, we'll. Uh, <laughs> our fact checker you know we yeah. we need to have we need to have this uh like they do on uh, the pti show at the end where or they used to where uh, somebody will come on and tell us what we messed up uh, during the show uh you know just all the errors that we made and we can correct them
2: how, um, many, how many minutes would we have to reserve for that
1: oh zero we we don't mess up anything you and i <laughs> <sighs> the hell are you talking about we don't do anything <laughs> <laughs> no uh so they uh Kens, you know deep red state uh and voters there were expected, I would say, to approve this in a narrow. Uh, narrowly, they were expected. I would, I I think the consensus was narrowly it was going to go one way or the other. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think most people felt like Kansas, and especially because of a number of factors, it was a uh, you know the primary election. Uh, so the, the turnout was going to be very low, which makes it very, very easy to pass ballot initiatives and such uh, on on things like that. Uh, you put them on the ballot, uh, and, and in a low turnout race, you're already if you're able to get it on the ballot you are already got the support there that you need uh, for people to come out, and it's very easy to pass such a ballot initiative. Also, the way it was written, uh, to keep the statutes in place that were current, uh, you had to vote uh, no, I believe, right? Uh, wh- whatever, you, you had to yes. vote no to keep this thing. And so that was, you know what I'm saying, it's, it's confu- it, it was a confusing If you want to keep this in place, you vote no. You know, and it, which is what? What are you talking? You know, and so uh, I think it was a it was uh, it was written in a manner to ma- to help it pass. Right, um, and they killed it. Yep. Uh, I mean, not by a little. Mm-hmm. It got killed mm-hmm. uh,
2: with a T. K I L T.
1: Kilt. Kilt. Uh, it got killed. Uh, it was. Uh, I ended up somewhere around 15 to 20 points Uh, for a long time. It was up near 30, Uh, you know, as the votes from the more rural counties trickled in, it it, it lessened the margin. But still, that's a kilt situation when you're talking about a vote for abortion rights in a red state.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And I think there are now a lot of Republicans out there. Who are thinking, holy shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, and, and rightfully so, yep. because I have always said, on this on this abortion issue, I, I, for, I, I will be upfront and tell you, I said many times to people that they will never overturn Roe v. Wade because it was too much of a hot button issue that they were uh, raising money on and getting votes on. This idea of it always being just out, you know, just out of reach, just mm-hmm. unobtainable, and they would never get it. And, and it would be like. Um, beca- and another reason I felt that way was because there's a scene in uh, uh, The Dark Knight. Well, uh, one of the greatest movies ever, yeah. uh, and, and I'm not a big comic book uh, guy, uh, movie guy, but uh, that Dark Knight movie uh, with Heath Ledger as the Joker. And, mm-hmm. and he's explaining uh, to, to Batman his uh, his thinking. And he says, I'm like a dog chasing a car. I wouldn't know what to do if I caught it, you know, and that's where I thought Republicans were on this hmm. is that they wanted this chase. But if they ever caught that car, mm-hmm. they'd have no idea what to do after that. And well, I think we're seeing yeah. that right now in yeah. this. They, they don't know. They have no idea. They, they, and they're facing a backlash like they've never seen before. And I think that they're in real trouble.
2: Well, it's what we, we sometimes call the law of unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. So you, you do one thing to achieve one objective, not anticipating other objectives or other uh, reactions that will occur, and this is exactly yeah. what 's happened, so they 've awakened I think a sleeping giant and and that 's even let's let 's take a step back for a minute the The Republican Party specifically and the conservative movement in general have been trying to say have been trying to define certain things for the United States of america mm-hmm. they've been trying to define our society as being more conservative then I think that evidence shows that it is, whether you like that or not. Yep. They've been trying to define Christianity as more conservative in our nation than in reality it really is. I think Christianity, uh, as practiced by Americans, is very complicated. It's a complicated yeah. mix of, of of some conservative traditions, but that have been very slowly, deliberately you know incrementally uh, have
1: been changing.
2: Well, yeah, so that, you uh, know, it,
1: and I agree with you what you're saying. And I, I'll tell you yeah. another aspect of that as okay. well though, specifically on the Christian. I feel like oh and you can look back at, at older movies and, and and a lot of different things, you know, you know the TV shows of the time mm-hmm. and you can see this uh the way Christianity and some other thing, other conservative ideals have kind of crept in to the everyday lives of a lot of people and, and, and particularly into government. I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with that. Oh, they they, they, yeah. they want their religion and stuff to be a private thing at the house and on mm-hmm. Sundays or whatever, but mm-hmm. past that, that's not how we're supposed to act. You know? Right. Well, yeah.
2: And I think that that's been a very deliberate sort of thing. Uh, you know, for sure since 1979 and the founding of the moral majority Mm -hmm. Uh, but, but even before that, there was some tussling, cultural and political tussling going on, uh, about that. And it's pretty interesting. I think I was listening to something recently analyzing Barry Goldwater and his role in, in some of the moral, uh, and political changes that occurred in the Republican party. And he was interesting because while he was this rabid conservative, on a lot of things, he's really, in retrospect, he might really have been more of what we would have called a, a a moderate to liberal con, uh, Republican on mm-hmm. social issues, including what you just talked about, Josh, which is this sort of this attempt to infuse politics and 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 uh, and legal standards and so forth with a religious context. Right. So this has been, yeah, this has been real problematic, but anyway, I think, I think they have overestimated. They sort of overplayed their hand in some ways, Uh, you know, and, and uh, I think that that's what we're seeing now that there, you know, in fact, there are a lot of religious people who right now are saying, you know, uh, first of all, you went too doggone far with saying, You know, in in the cases where you've said, where it's been said, you know, we oppose abortion completely, you know, you know, nothing other than the life of the mother, if that, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, that's just too doggone far for a lot of Christian people. Yes. You know, no exceptions for rape or incest. Come on. That's inhumane. Mm -hmm. You know, Uh, and then you've got uh, another sector of Christian people, and I'm a part of this sector that says really the whole thing should not even be a government. It shouldn't be a government issue. It should only be the only, the only, the final determinative voice in this Mm -hmm. whole discussion should be that of the mother, not the government, not, not even her doctor, but the mother, the mother, the mother. And Mm -hmm. so this, I think you now have, I think they're now realizing that they've overplayed their hands. They've, They've overreached. And especially, I'll just add this one last thing, Josh. You got these other fringe people who are even further out there who are now trying to suggest that conception or contraceptives, I'm sorry, that contraceptives contraceptives ought to be a part of this discussion too. That's just freaking insane.
1: Yeah. Really? Contraceptives? Really? Yeah. And it's, you're right. And and I'll tell you, I think it's, uh, some of this is, you know the danger of of an echo chamber mm-hmm. uh you know you surround yourselves with only these people uh who think like you on the far right uh, and they do that a lot you know with their news uh where they choose to get news out. otherwise they wouldn't have half of the insane ass ideas that they have mm-hmm. uh i mean it, you know my god uh, but, you know, the the things that they read every day, the, the news sources that they choose, uh, the people that they surround themselves with, they're all telling them these things. That's why they're so shocked to learn that, um, you know, that these things are unpopular. I mean, there are Republicans who are shocked at, at, after that Kansas thing, and they're, they're saying a bunch of stupid things about what led to it and all this kind of nonsense. But uh, it, it's the, the fact of the matter is, is you've got a large percentage of the population out there. Uh, women mm-hmm. uh, who are pissed at what's taking place here and at the ideas you're putting out. Not only that, uh, you have a lot of men who've taken a look at this and said, whoa, 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 what are you doing? You know, we've got daughters uh, here that are going to have to deal with this bullshit. Are you telling me that if some dude out here rapes my 11, 12-year-old kid, uh, you're going to try to force me? Yeah, force my my little baby to carry this this kid. Right. That's what right. you're telling me. Hell right. no, not in my house. You know, right. and uh, and I don't care what your feelings on abortion are from afar. Okay, they're different when the reality sets in. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, the reality of this Alabama law set in, and they went, "Ooh, damn," uh, you know, "Ooh, you know, I don't, I don't know." You know what's pitiful about that
2: though? And I think you're exactly right. But what's pitiful about that is that it's always been that way, from what I've heard. From what mm-hmm. I've heard, it there's always been this sort of double standard, this No, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, you know, we don't want abortions, but then if a daughter or a granddaughter or somebody like that gets pregnant, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden there's this flexibility and pliability to their morality and yeah. their Yeah, well you know what logic, it is. You know You know what it is, right?
1: Yeah. Republicans are children. Oh. They're children. I man, listen, listen, I, I don't even necessarily mean that in, in some kind, sort of a mean spirited, derogatory way. Mm-hmm. But that's how they think. That's that's literally this is how they get to, to their positions on stuff that they, they, they think like children. They think what benefits them most. They think in the easiest possible terms. They think of uh, the easiest solution to every problem. Uh, You know, that's the reason. I mean, look at look at just pick a topic, Uh, you know, criminal justice, for example. Lock them up. Throw away the key, you know. That's that's the solution. It's the mm-hmm. easiest possible solution. And the same way with this it, that's the gay marriage, uh, all of these different things that, that, that come out, all of these things that it only affects them when it affects them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's that it's amazing, amazing how many Republicans out there became supporters of gay rights once they had a kid <laughs> who was gay. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean it, and you're, and you're exactly right. And the, the
2: only one I can think of who I don't think moved one iota, which which speaks at once to his I guess I, I guess it's actually speaks simultaneously to his deep convictions and also his deep narcissism nonetheless is Alan Keyes. Mm-hmm. You remember Alan Keyes? Yes, I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah he uh you know, he's the the uh the perennial Black Republican who would right. champion black, you know, Republican ideals and conservative ideas even more than the, you know, the run of the mill Republicans and conservatives would. He ran against Obama mm-hmm. uh, when Obama was running for uh, U.S. Senate. Yeah, uh, he was a, he he was the guy that jumped in after that other guy's campaign imploded over I think a sexual affair or something. And uh and then he was also the president for a while. He was an interim president of Alabama and University yeah. uh here in North North Alabama. Well, when he found out his daughter was gay, the news report said that he basically uh I think he basically disowned her or something along that line, right? Mm-hmm. So that speaks to his at least he's on the one hand, you can say, well, at least he's consistent. But then on the other hand, you're thinking, my God, you disowned your daughter. Yeah. A consistent kind of asshole. father does
0: that. Yeah.
1: yeah. He's a consistent asshole. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's a. Um, uh, but yeah, so that's what I'm saying. It's it's they never they never see this this what what they're doing because it sounds good you know, oh listen that's life you don't want to you know it, 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 uh, abortion nobody nobody likes abortion, okay nobody nobody likes the idea of it. Nobody likes what's taking place there you know uh, but at the same time, we also recognize as adults that these you know certain things happen along the way, whether it be crime, whether it be mistakes, whether it be wh- whatever. You know, these things happen in in an adult world and you've got to wrap your head around the reality of things. And so often they can't do it until it hits their house, until it's on their doorstep, they they're like, "Oh, well, you know, I think we need to go get the, you know, and it's just oh. Just, you know it'll drive you insane. You know, and, and I we all know people. We all know people who've done this. We all know the the hypocrites in the Alabama legislature who have sent girlfriends, and uh, you know I could name off some right now uh, that uh, that have that have done this, and it then stood up before people and claimed to be pro life and uh, all sorts of other nonsense out there, um, or who have who have pressured women uh, in you know that that worked in, in their offices and stuff not to go not to go. Through with a pregnancy because it would be inconvenient uh, for, for the office and, you know, for the job and stuff. And so Whoa, I've never we all most... know these people. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, listen. They're, really? They're, they're, that, that's horrible. Oh, it happens all the time. It happens all the time with people who are like, oh, I can't afford to lose you right now. You know, right now is a, a really tough time for the company or for the campaign or for the X whatever. You know, uh, are you really sure this is what you want to do? You know, oh. and uh, and so it all These things are all part of this big soup that they've mixed up that not a lot of people like the taste of at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it has very, very quickly changed the outlook of these midterms that are coming up. Um, And I think people really underestimated the amount of anger Uh, That's there among women all across the country. Uh, I think they really underestimated how it would affect them in terms of motivation to vote. Uh, Because I mean, that turnout in Kansas was also up to near uh, governor uh, election levels. Uh, So so you were up to general election levels there in a primary, which is also unheard of. Mm -hmm. And man, you put that combination together. And if that's going to be the case in states all across the country, especially in states that are much more purple mm-hmm. than Kansas is, you got a hell of a problem if you're Republicans uh, in yep. a lot of these Senate races and, and House races. Uh, and if you're a Democrat, you better start changing your campaign to reflect what those results in Kansas showed. Uh, so, so,
2: So here's a question for us. Here's mm-hmm. a question for us. We, we see that happening in Kansas. We get the sense that there's this momentum that's building across the nation. Mm-hmm. But does it penetrate Alabama?
1: Yes. Yeah, it does. But but I will say this. I think that you're it, it's not going to penetrate Alabama in terms of flipping a bunch of seats in the legislature. I think what I think it does is it puts a lot of and this is I, I think this is another problem with our with our Democratic Party currently in not putting up a lot of people, a lot of candidates in some of these races. Um, you know, I think right now, if you had a viable if you had Stephen Reed uh-huh. running for governor of Alabama uh-huh. right now. You know, I, I don't I don't think he beats Kay Ivey because I think there's still the straight ticket voting uh, gets you. But I think. That all of a sudden you got a much tougher race for K.I.V. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, up there because of this issue uh, and because of her. I was proud to sign this into law and not allow for for rape and incest. And you know, and hey, God bless Anthony Daniels for pressing people on this thing and not letting yeah. this issue die. Yeah. Uh, as far as I can tell, the only one doing anything uh, in the state in terms of Democrats uh, of of getting this out in front of people. Um, you know, I, I mean. Where where is everybody else on this? Um, you know, I mean, come on. This is that you see the issue. It's it's there in yeah. front of you. Press yeah. people on it. People don't like this. No rape incest exception uh, deal. They don't. They yeah. don't like it at all. It is. Yeah. I, I guarantee you, if you put this law in front of Alabama voters, it would fail.
2: Yeah, I think um, I think you're right. I think I think it's it smart. It's smart strategically, politically, I also think it is morally the right position. Mm-hmm. And so uh I'm glad that Anthony's doing it also and forcing forcing it to sort of stay in front of uh the Attorney General. And uh and I think you're right. More Democrats need to jump on that bandwagon very vocally and visibly, and hopefully that's what we'll start to see.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I hope so as well. And um, you know, and I, I just uh, the the other thing that I think um, that we're we're missing out on uh, here in this state, um, and we saw it uh, from our two senators um, is is what's happened with the Pact Act. Uh, uh, you know, it finally passed, and that's the uh, the act that uh, that allows uh, veterans uh, to to get compensated care for uh, a number of ailments associated with burn pit toxins. Um, And there are a lot of guys that have come back from Iraq, Afghanistan, and other places that are suffering, uh, and they couldn't get coverage because a number of ailments were not necessarily covered under uh, the the VA uh, stuff. And so this helps them uh, get that, and our two senators voted against it. Um, you know, I've had a bit of an argument over the last couple of days with uh, Senator Shelby's office uh, about uh, his stance on this. And, you know, they they claimed that there was a budgetary gimmick that was installed in the bill. And that was the reason why he he chose to vote against it. There was there was no gimmick. Uh, in there, uh, they changed it from discretionary to mandatory uh, because they wanted to ensure that the funding would always be there uh, and that there would be no cap on the funding and that there would be no tenure. Uh, it would not run out in 10 years. Uh, they, they wanted to they wanted to have it approved by Congress every year. And, you know, the, uh, the Democrats rightfully you know, shot that down um, and, you know, and they voted against it for that. Now, Tuberville claims his 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 reasoning on there was, well, this opens this thing up for a lot of ailments to be treated that aren't necessarily related to burn pits and it could overrun the V.A. Well, then fund the damn V.A. better. If you've got a bunch of sick veterans, how about we just treat them, you know? Yeah. Uh, what the hell yeah. are we talking about? Treat the sick yeah. people. What are we mm-hmm. doing the the nurture yeah. we sent over to war and stuff you can't We can't spare some change for them mhm
2: yeah your uh your column about this, I think was appropriately uh, uh fiery, and uh you know your outrage is right on point um i i want I wanna go back to Shelby for a minute because I know that there are people that are echoing what he's saying that this is just some you know, that this was a uh, a partisan trick to try mm-hmm. to open up the floodgates for a liberal spending agenda. But uh, I read an article in, I think it was on The Hill, uh, from thehill.com. And The Hill, if if you don't know, is a longstanding uh, news publication uh, that uh, deals with, you know, just about everything, I guess, that that where, where politics and, and congressional activities Uh, where they intersect. And, um, you know, the Hill was, the Hill's reporting was that the Republicans, the very thing that Shelby was saying he had a problem with in terms of this, this mandatory spending device, Mm -hmm. that the Republicans had previously endorsed and or utilized this very same device. Mm -hmm. So, that to me undermines what uh, Senator Shelby was saying. I, I think that he, I think that he's in a situation where he just decided he was going to play along with the Republican political playbook here, mm-hmm. but he needed to come up with what he thought was a reasonably plausible excuse. But I don't think it holds up based on the reporting that I read. And no. then, of course, Tupperbill's excuse. You know, like you said,
1: that just i mean he may as well not even said that i mean yeah, really. I just it's a yeah and you're right i mean a portion of that uh or at least one of the times I used uh that that same uh budgetary measure was uh in the funding for the wars uh, that some of these guys went and fought for in you know mm-hmm. the, and where they were where they were sickened uh so uh, you know it's good enough to 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 pay for the war, but not good enough to to make sure that we're gonna treat the guys. Uh, that that are sickened by this, and, and that's, you know, and, and we're also, th- it was it was $400 billion over 10 years, okay, and I, I understand that's a lot of money, e- even when you break it down by 10 years, but, you know, in terms of our overall national budget, it, it's not that much when we're talking, when, when what you're paying for it are, are sick veterans, and, you know, and yeah. I, I get, you know, this is, this is one of those issues, and you know, I know John Stewart's got on it as well, and he and I think a lot alike in this particular way. Um, you know, I. I have always been you know and I, I got started on it in in Montgomery when we had a lot of VA problems there um, and uh, you know and just saw what was what was happening with a lot of these guys and the way that they were denied just basic things that we had promised you know uh, from I mean and it's not just this it's also education stuff you know they they're constantly screwing with them on that they're constantly screwing with them on, on their funding for things the housing at, at bases is deplorable in some cases. Uh, I mean, it's just it goes on and on and on. And we have all this lip service about, oh, the heroes that we're sending overseas. And we got to respect and love our heroes and the men and women in uniform and, you know, putting flags up and taking pictures with them and having photo ops. And then not doing shit to really help them Mm -hmm. and to really not even help them to just carry through with what you promised to get them to sign up on the front end, you know. And that's what really pisses me off about the whole thing. And, you know, I just, it just, it angers me. It really does anger
0: me.
2: So I would, I would say this, if a, um, if a, pardon me, if a veteran has been honorably discharged, then that honorably discharged veteran ought to get, as you said in your column, just 100% free medical care. Yes. Take care whatever that person's needs are related to war or not, Mm -hmm. take care of it. Take care of it because of, of the sacrifice that that person made just in committing to put on the uniform and, and doing so honorably Mm -hmm. a person who's been dishonorably discharged or, or, or come out with some marks on their record. Maybe you lower, maybe you somehow modify the extent to which they are covered but certainly all of their – anything that, that happened to them, you know, in the course of serving ought to be covered mm-hmm. 100%. I don't care no, if you're honorably absolutely. discharged or dishonorably <laughs> yeah.
1: discharged. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, and I, I don't care if you want to include, you know, private doctors or whatever in the, in the system uh, uh, that cares for these guys uh, to mm-hmm. make it work, but factor in the cost of doing exactly what you said – on the front end of whenever you're deciding to send a bunch of people off to war, uh, mm-hmm. to, to fight for whatever cause, you know, that you've, you know, weapons of mass destruction or whatever in the hell it is, uh, right. you know, then factor that in and pay the people. Stop letting th- that. Is, it's what drives me nuts is that so often, oh, we got the tanks and the airplanes and the defense contracts. Well, nobody ever, nobody ever, you know, reneges on those things. Right. But, we, but where it's easiest to do it are with the guys that don't have a voice. Uh so often, and we we cut their benefits and the things that we promise them, you know, and it's just it's wrong and and i'm I'm tired of seeing it from from people, especially the people who lean on those guys for votes, and that's what really pisses me off, but you know, hey, I've been pissed before, so uh. <sighs> but that that is a is an actual genuine i it genuinely yeah. angers me in, a, in sure. a lot of ways so I all right let's it. slide out of here uh, we're going to come back in just a minute uh, and, and have our uh, uh, the queen of alabama prisons uh, beth shelburne uh on and uh, and she can uh talk about the problems there and you know and, and we're going to check to make sure her uh, skirt is the right length before she comes on here too so um uh, <laughs> be back in a minute alabama politics this week
2: David Person with Alabama Politics this week. You know, you listen to me and Josh every week, and we have a blast as we talk about Alabama politics and culture and as we interview newsmakers and journalists about Alabama politics and culture. Thanks for your support of this great podcast, and I hope that you will continue to not only listen, but to share it with your friends and also give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to it. Thanks a lot.
1: All righty, welcome back, Alabama politics this week, Josh Moon, David Person, and we are happy now to for the second time. Uh, to have, uh, I think I call her the Queen of Alabama Prisons, uh, Beth Shelburne, uh, although I'm pretty sure it's a title she does not want.
0: Well, I was going to ask
2: her, is that a title that you want, Beth? Is that how you want to be known?
0: Well, I mean... You know, I I didn't like ask to cover this beat. This beat kind of like found me. But if if people want to call me that, that's fine. I'm glad that people on the inside, both incarcerated people and ADOC staff feel like they can come to me and that I'm somebody who cares and will listen to them and dig into these issues. So if if people want to call me the queen of Alabama prisons or mass incarceration or whatever, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm cool with that.
1: Yeah, yeah, because I think that's that's kind of a misconception. Uh, too is uh, you know, I think people uh believe that you are only receiving information from the prisoners and stuff, and that that's not the case. And I, I know from uh from my, my limited, very very limited work of doing stuff on prisons, um, and, and Eddie's uh, Burkhalter who was formerly with us, and uh did did great great work on the prison stuff as well. A lot of the, a lot of the information is coming from the ADOC staff uh there at, at these prisons and uh, because they they recognize the problems they rec- they see the issues that are there
0: yeah they're just as outraged sometimes as the family members of incarcerated people because mm-hmm. they're in there with them and they see how much they're suffering and to be honest sometimes the staff members are treated almost as poorly as the incarcerated people by the administration i mean they are Jerked around, retaliated against, threatened, um, bullied. Certainly, you know, you can't compare having a paid staff job to doing time in an Alabama prison, but they feel that, that they mm-hmm. are looked at in much the same way as um, incarcerated people by the ADOC leadership and administration
1: yeah i got to think that that is a huge contributing factor to a lot of the issues that we see in our prisons where you know because they, they can't keep staff in a lot of places um and and you can't recruit anybody to to a lot of these jobs because of word of mouth and people that have that have done these jobs and and i think you know in addition to uh, the pay which is you know it's gone up somewhat but not enough to to make these jobs worthwhile to anybody that that you, you know, it. it prior to uh, several, uh, several years back, the, these sorts of jobs would be something that you could go into, uh, you know, and you would have the health care, you would have the retirement packages, you would have these things that that you know, we're attractive to a lot of people, a lot of good people to go in and you could create a, a career out of this and, uh, you know, and raise a family and, and do all you can't do that anymore. And they're not even close to returning to that. And so, uh, and then you add in on top of what that, what you said, it's got to be a contributing factor to the shape of our prisons, right?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of these people that have been there for a while are leaving, um, they're like, you know, foregoing their retirement.
1: Where are we? In terms of because, you know, we had this DOJ report uh, that that came out and, and it highlighted a lot of issues. And I think to me, to me personally, the biggest issue that we have in our prisons is that we are woefully understaffed and that the staff that we have in place lack the incentives there, the job incentives to not break the law, to do a good job. Uh, uh, and to not quit at the drop of a hat. So where are we now in terms of turning around any of that understaffing issue?
0: It's so funny that you asked me this because I was just talking to a reporter who also covers Alabama prisons in our state about this and he's trying to get the latest staffing numbers those are not made readily available. The Department of Corrections used to release those publicly in their monthly statistical reports, but they stopped doing that during the Bragg's litigation. Um, they claimed it was for security reasons, um, but it just so happened that it was right at the time that that issue was being litigated. Yeah. That they Security of
1: their feelings, years. that's what it was, yeah.
0: One of the biggest problems that I've seen and I've heard from veterans within the Department of Corrections is that the agency has lowered its standards in who they will hire to fill these positions. Jeff Dunn, in a move that I think he thought could help increase the numbers, created this position called a Basic Correctional Officer, a BCO. So they are not uh, firearm certified. They do not go through the 12 weeks of training at the academy. I believe it's six weeks. Um, they don't have the same physical requirements that they have to pass. And when they come in, they are looked at askance by the seasoned officers because they don't have the same credentials and training that they had when they came into the system. And you know what I'm hearing is a lot of these BCOs are very young women that are coming in and are really vulnerable to coming into a maximum security men's prison, being manipulated by people in the system, both you know seasoned officers and incarcerated people. They get caught up in a lot of the prison drama, the contraband, they get into relationships with guys that are in there, both officers and incarcerated people. So it's really not working well. Like it might allow DOC to expand the hiring pool, And to perhaps boost some numbers, but it's not staffing the prisons with the type of people that we need to get control of these facilities. I think the BCO staff position is the only one that has had a net increase because so many of the um, seasoned correctional officers and correctional supervisors are leaving and not being replaced because you don't have anybody to move into those positions, they are experiencing net losses for those uh, staff positions. Um, You know, Judge Thompson in the Bragg's case had ordered DOC to hire 2,000 new correctional officers by this year and then that was extended until 2025. They're not even close to hitting that. And that's the main reason I don't support these new mega prisons. You know, still spending $1.3 billion on new mega prisons is a bad idea for dozens of reasons. But I think practically speaking, um, the biggest reason is we are not gonna be able to staff these prisons because we can't staff the prisons that we currently have. Mm. So why would we be able to staff new mega prisons? It makes absolutely no sense. I have not heard anybody answer that question. But yet we're breaking ground and the contracts are being signed and they're building those prisons by God.
2: Well, kind of makes you think there's another agenda at play here, which has nothing to do with what? Uh, with the, the the real issues surrounding prisons. And why, David, are you suggesting
1: that there could be some people getting money out of this that shouldn't be? Oh, oh absolutely. Absolutely. That's absolutely. Hard to believe in this. state. Absolutely.
2: There
0: Absolutely. is always another agenda with mass incarceration. There is always money to be made, building new prisons and jails, not just the big juicy contracts that Cadell Construction in Montgomery and BL Harbor in Birmingham got to build the mega prisons, but all the subcontractors. I mean, you've got mm-hmm. subcontractors and subcontractors of those subcontractors, mm-hmm. and there are just people milking it and companies milking it everywhere. This is the largest public works project in Alabama history. We're going to be talking about this in a decade. What a boondoggle this was. What a waste. How corrupt. I just don't think it can be overstated what a big deal this mega prison plan is. And listen, they've been trying to get this thing done since 2016, how many times did it fail in the legislature as like a regular traditional bond issue? Um, mm. Then they brought in Core CoreCivic, the, the private prison profiteer, to spearhead the whole thing. And they couldn't get the financing because these financial companies, you know, know what time it is. They know that investing in mass incarceration is a bad look. So that fell apart. And so now we're doing it by using COVID money and um, trying to get these bonds financed, but they're $200 million short still.
2: Mm. This reminds me of the, uh, Beth, this reminds me of the old James Brown song, the big payback. Somebody is getting paid back. This is payback for somebody. I guarantee you, I I stake my life on it. I want to ask you about something you wrote about back in March of of this year, Uh, it's a really interesting piece, uh, quite frankly, a moving piece about the challenge to read in Mm. Alabama prisons. And this, I want to bring this up for a couple of reasons. One, because what you describe in this story is absolutely stunning to me in terms of of just how something that many of us take for granted, having access to books and magazines can be such a challenge for people in prison, how it's used, how that sort of access is used punitively. But then also I think about it from this standpoint, Beth, uh, and and I'd like for your thoughts on all of this. Um, it seems to me like if you want to successfully run a, an institution where you're outnumbered by probably 20 or 30 to one, if not more. Then, one of the things you would want to do is to provide the people that outnumber you with some creature comforts to help keep their morale up, to help keep their minds occupied, to give them something to do that's productive so that they won't be inclined perhaps. Uh and, and I and I don't say this to suggest this even characterizes most uh, who were incarcerated, but but we know there are some who probably would be inclined to, you know, act violently or do something uh, that could be dangerous to the staff or other prisoners. Well, it seems like books and magazines would be a great way to address that. Give me give me your thoughts on all of that. Because I'm I thought so- this was enlightening.
0: I'm so glad that you brought up this piece, David, and I'm I'm happy to hear that it moved you. It was published by Facing South, which is um, part of the University of North Carolina. And it's something that I've wanted to write for a long time. Because um, talking to people in the system, I often hear about just their day to day lives and how hard it is just to get basic things like a book. Um, you know, and it it's one of those things that we have all these horrors that are happening, you know, violence, overdoses, suicides, but when people hear about the prison administration taking people's books away or trying to prevent them from accessing reading material, that hits a very particular nerve with people and that starts to really get to them. I mean, people get really outraged when they hear about that. Um, You know, the two men that I profile in the piece, I know both of them really well. And um, they're avid readers just like I am. And they've spent their entire adult lives in prison. And it's been an ongoing battle for them to um, continue their magazine subscriptions. And we're not talking about penthouse. I mean, these Mm -hmm. guys are subscribing to The Economist National Geographic and, you know, um, chess players weekly or whatever. I mean, these are very smart guys. And I think one thing I've learned from them and other people, um, you know, a mind is a very dangerous thing to deprive. Mm. And um, when you're in an oppressive environment, that's really a totalitarian environment um and you are deprived of the basic right to read and not just read for pleasure but read for development self-development or you know rehabilitation trying to understand what led you to prison um these guys do a lot of really deep work on themselves and they do it in despite you know the prison not because of it they they do it against the odds because The administration is just always doing what it can to block, to deprive, to make problems for. And you saw, David, when you read that piece that there's been litigation going on over the last couple of decades on basic things like having a a lending library in the prisons, being able to subscribe to a newspaper. I mean, and the. The Department of Corrections time and again has worked to prohibit those things from happening, claiming that it's for security. But I really just don't believe that anymore. Um, I think that there's just a mindset of punish, punish, punish. And they see things like books, libraries, educational opportunities, access to media as privileges or um, catering to convicts, and that's not something that they're interested in doing
2: right and and just for clarification before I toss it back to josh you were you, you were you, you facetiously referenced the beginning of your remarks. The truth of the matter is uh they don't allow pornography in prisons, right
0: they don't not in the Alabama Department of Corrections. They used to. They used to be able to subscribe to Playboy. I don't think hardcore porn, but they could get, you know, magazines like Playboy. I don't know about Penthouse, but some commissioner along the way decided that that was inappropriate. They can't even receive um, a risque photo from mm. their spouse. The mailroom will pluck that out of their mail and destroy it. Um, There's no conjugal visits in Alabama prisons, as you guys probably know. And so people who are incarcerated, they're married, are not allowed to be with their spouse, not even like, you know, to have sex, but just to hang out with them somewhere that's not a carceral setting. And so that really flies in the face of us claiming we're a pro-family state when we basically do anything we can to separate families of incarcerated people and make it as difficult as possible for them to stay together.
1: Yeah. Um, it, it all kind of goes back into this uh, notion of, you know, what, what do we want out of this? Um, you know, and, and if you're going to continue to keep the name corrections in, in there, then you, you probably need to make some changes because that's not what we're doing. Um, and, you know, uh. W- We talked a little before we we came on about uh, this uh, this incident that occurred in which, um, you know, uh, an incarcerated man was uh, released for good time. Uh, That was uh, Austin Patrick Hall was released uh, allegedly for good time uh, and uh, then, of course, went out and and, then killed a deputy, shot another uh, in Bibb County, Um, you know, just. Awful, awful story, of course. And um, and then it, it led to, you know, Steve Marshall and, and some others uh, saying, well, this is uh, evidence clearly that we need to do something about these good time laws and where we're, we're letting prisoners out that don't need to be let out for good time uh, because look what this guy has done. And even in prison, he did all this stuff and still was eligible for good time. Well, as it turns out, he wasn't. Um, he was not eligible for good time. And and of course, the whole issue was the Department of Corrections and a, a, basically a bookkeeping error in which they failed to document uh, that he had uh, escaped before and stole a police car while he was doing so. And so because they failed to do that, then he later became eligible for these laws. And, uh, you know, we are... This is what drives me insane about this. It's not; it's that we do it so stupid. We do think we do things so stupidly, and 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 without you know trying to think things. It's it's always the easiest solution to every single problem. It's, oh well, like this guy got a good time loss. They kill a good time loss. It's the same thing that happened with the, with the guy that that killed the officer in Florence. Uh, you know, it's oh well, he should have never been out. Oh, have, you know, there were. Right. 10,000 people who were let out of prison on these laws. They didn't do anything. That's right. You know? um, we don't and, hear about them, though, do we? Yeah, right. That's, and, and so but even beyond that, even beyond that, we did nothing, nothing to make any of those people better.
0: Mm-hmm. Nothing.
1: We didn't do anything to make we people made better. it worse is what we yeah. did. So my, I guess my question is you, you, you talk to a lot of folks in there all the time. Where, what are, what are we doing with educational courses, with, with training courses, with anything? What, where, where are those things? What, what, what's happening with those, with that stuff?
0: Um, they have fallen off a cliff in the last decade. If you go into the Department of Correction statistical reports, one of the last pages each month is the number of graduates of these different programs that they offer in the prisons. Mm -hmm. I think um, people receiving GEDs has fallen 58% in the last 10 years, people going through the uh, drug treatment program has fallen like 48%. And, you know, this is what really angers me. You hear politicians justifying the mega prisons by saying, well, we don't currently have the space to offer educational programs and rehabilitative programs that the courts are saying we have to offer. We're not offering them because of a lack of space. We're not offering them because we don't have enough staff. That's why, you know, we have less people in prison today than we did 10 years ago because of the 2015 um, reforms that the legislature voted into place. We started to really reduce the prison population pretty significantly by 6,000 people. Mm -hmm. We're still overcrowded, but we're not as overcrowded as we were 10 years ago. So the argument that it's, these programs are dropping off due to a lack of space is simply not true. Um, I think it's a lack of staff. It's a lack of um, commitment to offering these things. It's the lowest thing on the priority list because the agency is in such crisis mode, just trying to get through each shift and count all the people and make sure everybody is there. Um, Make sure nobody gets killed. That's about all that we can hope for at this point. Um, I'll give you a quick example. There is a program in several of the prisons that everybody refers to as crime bill. Because it came out of the Bill Clinton era crime bill, where the federal government offered big subsidies to state prison systems to do this six month drug treatment program. I don't know if they still get federal money, I think they get some. But the prisons are required to hold this crime bill program. And many judges will impose the program on people at sentencing. You know, they'll say, I'm going to sentence you to two years, and you've got a complete crime bill. The program at Donaldson prison right now, William E. Donaldson, which is one of our maximum security prisons, um, the administrator of the crime bill, the drug counselor, was so fed up with how things were going in the prison, he quit. And the program is right now being proctored by an incarcerated individual who has literally spent his entire life in prison, and he is maintaining the files on his students and teaching this class. And he comes up for parole in a couple weeks, and he's gonna be denied parole because he's got a violent offense on his record from back when he was 15 and he's 47 um but that is who's running that program at the prison and i believe it's one of the only prisons with crime bill and i just wonder if judges realize that you know like hmm. the judges across our state realize what an absolute dumpster fire our prisons are right now when they sentence people to this time
1: i uh, <laughs> i mean What are we even doing, man? I I know. know, I mean,
0: I wish that I had some bright spot. Mm. You know, I hate to be this sort of gloomy record on repeat, always talking about death and destruction. But it really is the only thing happening right now. It is so desperate in there, and the human rights violations are so severe. Honestly. I think the Alabama prison system is one of the worst environments in the world right mm. now. When you talk about closed institutions and people being abused, neglected and mistreated, that's where it's happening. I no. mean, not just in the United States, across the world.
1: I wonder, I wonder what Kay Ivey's office would say if I sent an email out there and asked them, are they aware that of one of the only crime bill programs that have taken place in this state, in our, in our maximum security prisons, is being administered by an incarcerated person uh, and that there's nobody else left uh, to teach any of these things? I wonder what they would say, but you know, maybe hmm. we'll find out.
0: Well, what they'd probably do, if, if I could guess, knowing what I know about this agency, is they would figure out who that incarcerated person is and go retaliate against him for getting that story out, shake him down, put him in lockup, um, because hmm. how did they know about that story? You must have told them.
1: Well, maybe, maybe if I happen. maybe if I couched it in a in a manner in, in which you know uh, because I think this is the truth is we learned about it from people who had graduated from the program from that mm-hmm. gentleman uh, yeah. you know, it, uh, yeah so that's that's how it wasn't him he wouldn't dare speak of it uh, but uh you know it, it just it, I, I know what you mean about the the death and destruction stuff and gloomy and all but that's the reality of it and that's you know but I want people to understand because you have a, a Substack, right? Uh, it's mm-hmm. um, uh, that, that people can go and subscribe to. And uh, well, first of all, tell people how to get to that. And so if
0: you just, if you um, Substack is an online platform for newsletters, which are just essentially blogs. They're mm-hmm. calling them newsletters now. But um, <laughs> if you just Google Substack, you'll get to the website and then you can either search my name or the name of it is Moth to Flame. That's a whole different story, but I'm basically mm-hmm. like you know attracted to the stuff I shouldn't be like like covering <laughs> prisons and you know <laughs> yeah. um, things like that. so um, but yeah, I, I just started it about a month ago just because there's so much stuff going on and um, it's gotten a really positive response. I've been really happy.
1: Yeah, it's a, you, you, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I saw the, where you, you've allowed some of the prisoners uh, to, to write, or the incarcerated people, I think is mm-hmm. the correct terminology. You've allowed mm-hmm. some of them to, to write. Um, I, 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 first of all, I think that is is a remarkably important thing to have. Yeah. Uh, but right. also, I mean, there are just a number of other things out there that uh, that, that you have and, and stories that you write that, that are very, very good. And so I would encourage anybody uh, to, to go to there because it's, it's not all oh, necessarily doing, it's a it's reality. All right. That's what you're getting is reality. And if the reality is death and destruction, then, you know, people should be getting the reality of things and and stop with this rosy picture of uh, of nonsense when we know what's happening in the in, in our prisons. But uh, keep up the good work.
0: Thank Please. you so much. I yes. really appreciate um, that. Thank yeah. you so much.
1: and we'll we'll have you back on. And if uh, if there's anything that that we could help with, you know, we, we're happy to do it. But I don't know Absolutely. how much you know. At this point, it's so far gone. God only knows what you could do. But I don't know um, what
0: the answer is. I mean. You know, I I just got off the phone in the last couple hours with the grandmother of somebody who died recently at Bullock, um, one of the prisons down south. And um, this young man was 26 years old and he was sentenced to one year in DOC for simple drug possession. It Mm. wasn't his first offense. And I think he had violated the terms of his previous probation and so on and so forth. And he ended up in the Department of Corrections. He was two months away from getting out of there and he wound up dead. Mm. And they don't know why he died. Um, Mm. His stepfather told me he either overdosed or somebody killed him. But Mm. he was ready to come out of there. And, you know, that is just I mean, Like you said, Josh, what are we doing?
2: So so just to be clear, Beth, and I know we're out of time, but just to be clear, simple drug possession means he he probably was in possession of drugs that he himself was going to use. He wasn't trying to distribute or anything like that. He wasn't trying to make a profit. He was a user. And because he had a drug use problem, because he was probably... Fair to say he was probably an addict Mm -hmm. because he was an addict. He was incarcerated and then died, perhaps killed or perhaps from an OD. Either way, his blood is on the hands of that jail.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we are taking people with substance use problems, punishing them as criminals and putting them into drug dens. There's no other way to say it. Yeah.
1: Well, luckily, though, we make sure everybody has on the properly proper length skirt. So, That's right. Uh, yeah. You don't uh, you know, it's, it's one one thing they've got down is length of skirt. That's never going to be a problem. That down. For yes, yeah. they
0: do have those fishing waders ready because they might That's make right. it put them on.
1: That's right. oh my That's right. God! Yeah, Bruce. <laughs> all um, right, let's. Uh, well, we, we we do appreciate you taking the time and coming on and for and for all the work that you've done on this. And yes. uh, it, it's it it's it's second to none. And uh, and I know there's a lot of people out there that you give a lot of hope to. And so keep it up. Um, Thank you so and, much.
0: Yeah, well, thanks,
1: it's uh, best, Shelburn, She's uh. That, you know, I call her the Queen of the Prisons, but uh, I mean, really, it's—I it, it, know it's a thankless job. I don't know how they do it all the time with all of the death and destruction and stuff that they—they they cover and the people that they talk to. But it's—it's—it's uh, it's it's remarkable work. You, you, and and so you can we call
2: her—you can call her Queen of the Prisons. I'm going to start calling her Saint Beth.
1: Oh, Saint Beth, that's it, that's good. Saint, Saint Beth, Beth. That's, that's good. That's that's good. All right, that's it. I tell you what, let's uh, let's slide out of here. We'll come back, wrap this thing up in just a minute. Alabama politics this week. everybody, if you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at Alabama Politics this week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, Shoot a question over to APWProducer at gmail.com. That's APWProducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about, uh, I don't know, what what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or whatever, whatever your question may be. Uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections? So shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail Apwproducer at gmail Thanks. All righty. Welcome back to Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person. Uh, r- reminder, if you would uh, like to get in touch with us, that's uh, APWproducer at gmail.com. It'll eventually get to us uh, in some way, shape, or form. If you'd like mm-hmm. to rate and review, do that over at Apple Podcasts. Uh, we would we would appreciate a nice uh, rate and review. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up uh, yeah. before we get ourselves out of here and do the right-wing nut and all that is uh, this deal in Huntsville. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know... <laughs> And it speaks to a larger issue uh I have with voters of this state and um currently the city of Huntsville is denying access uh a l dot com uh, filed a freedom open records request uh, in the state uh for records pertaining to the uh legal fees paid by the city uh, for the uh officer. Uh, who was found guilty of murder. And then apparently even into his appeal process, uh, they are still paying uh, something uh, there that, that that has been requested because that is the reason why they, the city has declined uh, access to those records uh, saying that, uh, you know, that it's attorney client privilege and it could hamper uh, whatever they're doing uh, with him still at this point. Um, I, I, I don't. That that's not a thing. Okay, I mean it's not. You know, you gotta you gotta tell people what you spent their money on. Uh, that that that's the the. You know, and, and the reason they're doing it is because it's, it would be embarrassing, uh, mm-hmm. for them to put the number out there and people would be outraged and angry over this, mm-hmm. um, that they, because this is a terrible position that they've taken. And everybody who saw that body cam video, uh, looked at it and said, this is, what are you, what are y'all doing? Uh, and so they don't want to, they don't want to let people know how much money they're spending on this. And they also the other reason is, is because you don't care enough you don't care enough when this topic of open records comes up uh in the legislature which it has the last 3 years you probably didn't even know that that has come up there's been bills proposed the last 3 years each of the last 3 sessions to improve our open records laws uh and and to put a few teeth into this uh act that would require people to turn over the records that are rightfully ours the ones that we are paying for like these We paid the legal fees. We paid the people who paid the legal fees. We paid to produce the records. It's all of our money. And we're, we're setting that we're allowing this to take place out of apathy. You know,
2: the, the position of the city has absolutely no merit, zero merit, none. They're just, as you said, this is about, this is about the mayor and, and the chief of police and the city council, perhaps as well, not wanting to be embarrassed mm-hmm. by, by the reality that they have been basically financially in bed with a convicted murderer. And that's really what it is. Uh, th- this man, uh, Darby, is a convicted murderer. And as I've talked about on this podcast before, I sat 10 feet from. Our mayor, when we were having a meeting, the Rosa Parks Committee of Huntsville had a meeting with him about this issue. And, and he looked us in the face, in our faces, and told us before, this was before the video had become public, mm-hmm. and told us, well, I've seen the video, he said, and um, he didn't do anything wrong. That's what he said. That was I, I, the biggest
1: bunch of BS that I've ever heard in my life. No, no, no. Can, do you think that there's a normal person out there that watched that video and thought, yeah, that's how it that should have gone down? I, I mean, don't see did, did, how. I don't see how, how. How is it possible? He went charging in past two people, yeah. two other police officers who who had the guy talking. Uh, there was no threat to anybody. Uh, you know, it, it, other than to the man himself, who was threatening to kill himself with a flare gun, which is never going to happen, um, you know, and and, and listen, they, they didn't know it was a flare gun; they thought it was a real gun. Uh, but it, nonetheless, nonetheless, he w- he was talking and was and was calm. He was not; he he wasn't threatening even himself at that point. He was just had the gun up to his head and was having a conversation with the female officer who was there. And and inside of what sixteen seconds? Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was about uh, he, sixteen seconds or less. Yeah, something like that.
1: He yeah. went in and shot him in the face, mm-hmm. and, and just it, you know, I, I just nobody, nobody, nobody thinks looks at that and says, "Oh yeah, that's how cops are supposed to act." There I, was, I just can't. yeah.
2: There's, there's, the, I mean, there's no foundation at all for their position on defending this convicted killer. Nor is there any foundation for them to legitimately say, we're not going to tell the public how much we have spent or or perhaps still are spending. There's mm-hmm. just no foundation for it at no, all. No, there's it's, none. It's, I mean, it's it's because
1: it's, yeah, it's just it's just numbers on the page. There's no there's no threat to the attorney client privilege there. Mm-hmm. First of all, you don't even have that under the mm-hmm. law. If you're paying, if you're using public dollars, you don't have attorney-client privilege not to disclose how much money is being paid to the attorney. Are you, mm-hmm. are you kidding me? What mm-hmm. are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I mean, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. If this was Alabama A&M that was paying legal fees to somebody to defend them against fraud charges, I guarantee you, Everybody in the state government around here would be up in arms about them saying we don't have to disclose that information. All right. Because yeah. I, I watched it happen at Alabama State University. I watched I the agree. same scenario uh, play out almost. Although in the, in uh, in ASU's defense, in, in that particular scenario, they at least did have – uh, you know some reasoning for not turning over some of the documents that they that they were doing, but they wanted them to turn over everything not just the, the amount of money that was being paid but everything mm-hmm. and you know i it just it, man it it drives me insane that people don 't care about this it just i mean that th- this is this is your government hiding things from you. Okay, that's what they're doing. They're hiding things from you. And if you don't put a stop to it, it's going to get worse because people only get worse from this. They don't get better. They don't improve themselves.
2: Well, I I think people do care. I think the, the 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 real challenge is I don't know if the average person and I know we're about to run out of time, so I'll make this quick. The average person does not have doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Now we with we with the Rosa Parks Committee we we I think can probably come up with some with some some strategies to try to address this and 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 I hope that we will as a as a collective because I can't speak for them you know unilaterally I can't make any decisions but I certainly hope that we will but I'll say um, I, I think people care Josh and and I and I think we're going to hear more in in the coming right. months.
1: Well, if they care, then you know one one of the easiest things to do is to start calling up your your reps uh, yep. and talking about this because this is this is legitimately a bipartisan issue
0: uh,
1: yep. here, and 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 I think it's one uh, that that would resonate with a number of people, even on the other side of the aisle. Oh uh, yeah, and and so I think that you know if you can get those to support. Uh, you know, that your your representatives to support this, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and making these changes that, that make sure that all we really need is some teeth into this. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you want a good example, and people don't say this very much, look to Florida. Uh, greatest open records laws in the country are in Florida. And that's the mm-hmm. reason why you hear so much about Florida man is because it's easy to get records about Florida man. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, speaking of someone who, you know, I, I don't know if he's a Florida man, but, he, man, he sure seems like a Florida man. That is uh, Alex Jones. He's our right-wing nut of the week this week uh, for being involved in what is got to be the greatest single moment of courtroom buffoonery that I have ever seen in my entire life. When this man sat on the stand and told uh, the attorney for the families of the Sandy Hook victims that— He did not, he had not sent these text messages that were being referenced. And then that man flashed up on the screen, the text messages. And then (laughs) he went on to explain to that man, to Alex Jones, how he came about those text messages that his attorney, Jones's attorney, had accidentally sent him the entire contents of Alex Jones' phone, cell phone, uh, and then had forgotten, I guess, uh, to file a claim with the court saying it was privileged information, so mm. it was open, game, fair game for them to use at that point. And uh, <laughs> Alex Jones was like, well, this is your Perry Mason moment, then, you know, uh, you know <laughs> it's our Perry Mason moment. You <laughs> know, uh, I mean, uh, uh, to be that guy and to set that thing up and to then just hammer it out of the park like that. That's got to be, I mean, you, you might as well quit the business, man. You know, yeah. it's never going to be that good again. You got to quit. Never be that good.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Go out what with, a clown. That's what we could talk about, going out with a bang. That's where you go out with a bang.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, you're right. That's, yeah. God, what a clown that guy is. And, and listen, and a, and a true right wing nut, a real absolute nutcase. I that's, mean,
2: more, more than just about anybody because, you know, he was doing all of what he was doing to make money. That's what yeah. it's all about. Oh, absolutely. And the,
1: the other great moment was, I think earlier today, actually, we, we record on Thursdays. I think earlier today, he put, uh, they asked him on the stand whether or not he was putting pictures on his, on his show, whether or not he was putting pictures of the judge on fire up uh, behind him as he was talking. And he said, no, absolutely not. And then they put the picture that he was using of the judge on fire up on the screen in the courtroom. And so it's he's, just, just, you know, he's just a fool. He's just oh, a fool. Oh, he's an idiot. He I, he's an idiot. I hope he goes to jail. And I hope he pays those families everything he. I hope they. Ha- I hope they're. Li- some of those families are living in Alex Jones's house at the end of this. Hmm. That's what I hope. Yeah. You know, yeah. Those poor people who yeah. I have no idea how they carry on and have that sort of grace and, and resiliency. I. I, yeah. I just don't. I can't imagine it. But I hope they bury this idiot. Yeah. Me All too. right. On that happy note let's uh, (laughs) let's slide ourselves out of here so you know until next week y'all be safe
2: peace